Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just won't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 116 with Lyme Ninja and author Connie Strasheim. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you'll learn the importance of modifying your diet to best suit your needs, electromagnetic pollution and how that exacerbates illness, and about Connie Strassheim's new book, New Paradigms in Lyme Disease Treatment, 10 Top Doctors Reveal Healing Strategies That Work. Thanks, Aurora. You know, I was very surprised. I was down in Harrisburg, PA, listening to uh, Dr. Lee Cowden. Yep, that Dr. Cowden, the inventor of the Cowden Protocol, and he was talking about detoxification and electromagnetic pollution and about a book that he wrote, and guess what? He co-authored that with Connie. No, no kidding. Yeah, so I saw her name up on the screen. I was like, wait a minute. I know Connie. I just (laughs) spoke with her. It was so cool. The other thing before we get started with the interview, just want to say again, thanks to all of you who are asking questions about the keto challenge, please just keep those questions coming on in. I do think a ketogenic diet can help so many people with Lyme disease and the exogenous ketones, the ketone supplement can also really help get things going. So we got a great question about the natural flavorings because so often that's code word for junk, but the natural flavorings in the keto OS is actually pretty good stuff. Uh, an orange stevia for the orange flavor and then some chocolate essential oils for the chocolate swirl flavor. So it's all natural stuff. And the other thing is somebody asked me, you know, I don't quite have enough money for the keto OS challenge. It sounds good. Is there another way that we can donate some money to you? And I said, no, there isn't, but I'll fix that. So we're, we fixed it, Aurora. There's a donate button now on the website. So in the Christmas spirit, if you want to give a little bit to help keep Lime Ninja Radio on the air, we would appreciate it very, very much. And just going over to LimeNinja.com and on the right-hand side, you will see a support us button. And go ahead and click on that, and then you can give whatever you feel is appropriate. And we think a dollar a month for those of you who are struggling with money and a dollar a show if you have a little bit of income coming in. We think that's more than fair, and we sure would appreciate it. It helps pay the bills. Right, Aurora? Definitely does. Okay. Um, enough on my monologue here. Let's uh, hear a little bit about today's guest, Connie Stresheim. All right. Connie Stresheim is an author, co-author of 10 wellness books, including four online disease two on cancer, and one on spiritual wellness. In addition to authoring books, Connie is a copywriter and editor for the Alternative Cancer Research Institute and ProHealth's Lyme disease website, as well as a healing prayer minister. 
One of her passions is to see people who battle chronic illness fully restored in body, mind, and spirit. In her latest book, New Paradigms in Lyme Disease Treatment, 10 Top Doctors Reveal Healing Strategies That Work, she shares the latest and most effective Lyme disease treatment strategies. Thanks, Aurora, and here's our interview with author Connie Strasheim. Hey. Hi, Connie. It's McKay from Lyme Ninja Radio. Hey, how are you? Very well. Well, this is just a great show. I just love that you do this. I think it's providing a really much-needed service to people with Lyme, so I just congratulate you for that. Oh, thanks so much. You know, I started out without much of a vision other than if I had a podcast, I'd be able to interview some really cool people and learn an awful lot about Lyme disease and then share it with others. And it's gone way beyond uh, what I even dreamed. Wow. Well, that's great to hear. And you know what? You do have a radio voice. Have you done this kind of thing before? Thanks. Well, part of that, Uh you know, my training as an acupuncturist was to listen and ask questions. And so it's a natural Uh fit. It's what I do all day long. And I just put on a headphones and put a microphone in front of me and do the same thing. That's awesome. That's really great. Well, I do podcast interviews for uh, something called the Alternative Cancer Research Institute, but I have to say it's not really that natural for me, although it is that it is fun interviewing integrative cancer doctors. I get to learn a lot. This is a perfect segue. What have you learned from those docs about ketones, ketogenic diets, and the respiratory side of cancer? Do you see parallels with Lyme disease? Here's the thing about diet that I found when interviewing Lyme doctors is such thing as a one-size-fits-all diet. And I have to be honest with you, I think the ketogenic diet can be useful for some people, and I know some doctors recommend that, but it really depends on the person because there are people, for instance, that have trouble with their liver and um, in such a way that if they do the keto diet, it can actually make them worse. And I was actually one of those people. Um, I got really grumpy and my hair fell out. And even though I was following, you know, the my doctor's instructions on the diet to a T, it didn't really work. But it can be a very useful diet, especially um, because, you know, it's known to calm down neurological symptoms. And it's recommended for you know, children that have seizures and things like that. And so as a natural corollary, corollary, I can see why it would help people with Lyme. But most of the doctors that I've interviewed, like for my new book, New Paradigms and Lyme Disease Treatment, some will put some of their patients on that, that diet while they will put others on, let's say, a paleo diet, which is um, basically, you know, a lot of vegetables, some low glycemic fruits, animal protein, nuts and seeds. Uh, or, you know, they just tailor it to the individual and some, and yet others like Dr. Klinghart would say, it depends on where a person's at in their healing journey, because in some phases, a person might need some more carbohydrates, whereas in another phase, they might need more healthy fats. Um, I think one thing that most of the doctors agree on is that healthy fats are a really good thing. Um, some animal protein is a good thing. I don't see a vegetarian diet being, advo- being advocated that much. So um, in the end, I think, you know, most of the time it comes down to something, some version of paleo or ketogenic. Now, I also just want to mention that I co-authored a book with Dr. Lee Cowden, who is also a Lyme literate doctor. Back in 2014, we wrote a book called Foods That Fit a Unique You. And it's based on the idea that everyone has slightly different nutritional requirements. And there was a guy 
in the 1960s named William Donald Kelly. He was a renowned dentist who treated a lot of people with cancer using what is called a metabolic typing and what that basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so some of the doctors believe that uh, metabolic typing is good because it's basically based on all your individual characteristics, your metabolism. And so there's a big, huge questionnaire you can take. It's like 300 questions like the original one, and it takes hours to do, but it can provide you with some insights into what your body might need. And I found it to be surprisingly accurate for myself. So um, anyway, that's a big, long answer to your question. And you mentioned about the mitochondria. Yeah, the, the keto diet is supposed to help reset the mitochondria. Um, you know, it provides a lot of healthy fat to the body and um, all the cells, you know, the cell membrane, they say is sort of the key to the cell and the cell membrane um, is where, you know, uh, it's like it's kind of like the gatekeeper for the cell. So it allows nutrients to come in. It allows waste to go out. And by supplying the body with a lot of healthy fats, you're ensuring the integrity of the cell and the cell membrane. So I, that, I believe that's one of the reasons why it's advocated for some people in Lyme disease. Yeah, there's a researcher at a NIH, Dr. Richard Veach, and that's V-E-E-C-H, and he's an expert in ketones, so not so much a ketogenic mm-hmm. diet. So he's trying to skip right ahead to to ketones. And he studied with Krebs, with Hans Krebs, uh, way back oh, in the uh-huh. day. So he's not a young man <laughs> by any stretch yeah. of imagination. <laughs> um, and he has been able to synthesize the right racemic uh, molecule of alpha – I'm sorry, beta – Oh, good grief. I'm totally blank on the, the chemical right now. The ketone, the beta hydroxybutyrate. There we go. And the name of the ketone. Yeah. That's, so that's the one the body prefers to use. And it, there are a couple other ketones in there, but for the most part, those don't really feed the mitochondria very well. And he got a grant mm-hmm. from DARPA. So like the black skunk works funding agency for the military to figure out how to fuel soldiers uh, and particularly special mm-hmm. forces type of guys. So th- the stumbling block is to synthesize this stuff. Uh, it, they need to do it by the tanker car and they need to get, uh, instead of drug companies involved who do things on very small amounts, they need to get food companies involved. So they don't have enough, uh, uh, enough uh, to make it cost effective at this point. But if he's right and some of these ketogenic cancer doctors are right, then being able to get the ketones up without having to go on an extreme high-fat diet, especially if you have genetic markers that don't really allow you to utilize fat sufficiently, which goes back to your metabolic mm-hmm. diaping type diet, um, then, then this is going to bypass all that. So I think in the next – it's a ways off still, but in the next five years, I think we're going to start seeing uh, ketone uh, supplements with this you know, very, very specific uh, start to show up in the in the cancer world, and that people won't have to go on an extreme diet to get the the ketones up to a therapeutic level. So I'm just keeping my that's eye exciting. On, yeah, I'm just keeping my eye on this little stream of thing because the ketones are the best fuel for the mitochondria. They're better than the glycolysis and pyruvate. It's better than the fats. It is the cells, the the 
the energy released when mitochondria gets hold of this beta hydroxybutyrate, I, I have to look up the numbers, but the number of ATP created is higher than any other process. So the cells just love, the mitochondria just love it. And that'll help recharge the cells and, and get the systems back online again. So McKay, I, um, you know, I interviewed, uh, Thomas Seafried who wrote a book, um, yes. you know, I think it's cancers and metabolic disease and, yep. uh, and he had talked about how sometimes people don't respond well to ketogenic diets because there's a real art to them. And, uh, and that's it. So that's another thing to look at. But, uh, what do you think about the argument? Cause I've heard it said that the brain prefers glucose as its primary fuel. Um, and so, you know, there's kind of this argument like that the diet, a keto diet's not so good for people, you, you know, um, for the brain sort, but what, I, I don't know. What do you think of that? I've just heard some controversy about that. Yeah. Well, there's, first of all, there are cells in the body that require glucose. There's no doubt about it. That's just flat out. They can only uh, metabolize glucose. There's not a whole lot of them. And the, and part of some of them are in the brain. I think some are in the small intestine and the others are in the kidneys. And so you do need a bit of glucose. Your body, if, if we had glucose needs that were th- this important, you couldn't fast, right? You couldn't fast for 30 days. You'd fall over dead. So your liver will, with, through gluconeogenesis, will make some glucose, all the glucose that the body needs. So, You've got that. So as long as you're eating some protein that you can go through this process and you're not catabolizing your own muscles and your heart and so forth and so on, then you'll be fine doing that. But what people find, if go back the original kind of ketogenic diet, they used it to treat seizures, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. And they, yeah. And they still, mm-hmm. and, then they, and then the drug companies came along, so now we have drugs, so you don't have to do dietary anymore. But they still use it in, in, in rare cases where they're not responding to the, where they're not responding to the medications. And so if it were that yeah. bad, if your body really preferred the glucose, you would think something like that wouldn't work. And the people who go on a ketogenic diet and get their ketones enough, and it's important, a ketogenic diet isn't just a low carb diet. You have to measure your ketones. Just cutting the carbs out, and if you're not carb adapted, that's just going to cause problems. You really have to get the fat levels up high enough to begin to produce these these ketones, and then you have to measure your blood, or you can do an acetone breath test. Once you begin to get those up, point three, point five, one point something, up to two point something, what people report is their brains are like super clear and super sharp. So. There's there's no evidence that having low amounts of glucose in your blood does any damage to the brain at all. There's no there's mm-hmm. no evidence of that. Now you're just going to go back and mm-hmm. forth at this point until the the science really nails it down. But I'm on the side of you know you don't need as much glucose as people say. You don't need a hundred grams of carbs a day. Now what happened with you and your with the thyroid probably and so forth? There are other complicating factors. So it'd be interesting to try to suss that out specifically. But it's like you're probably your fat pathways. Probably if you look at your genetics, your 23andMe, we probably would know, see that maybe there's an ACAT problem. And so your efficiency in bringing fat into the cells isn't great. So your body, so really metabolic typing wise, and to, unless we correct, corrected some of those enzymes that move around these fats, you do need some glucose because you don't use fat very well. 
And that's where that idea yeah. of metabolic yeah. typing does help. So if, if there is some way to fix those enzymes, then yeah, you could start using fat more efficiently. You've probably been all right. But I would imagine it was something along that line. Cause if, you know, and you can get blocked on either end. People can get blocked on the glucose side of things. And then all of a sudden you start getting the type two diabetes and all those kind of things going on. And so those people respond mm-hmm. really well to a ketogenic diet. So there's, there's multiple factors. I agree with you a hundred percent. There is no one size fit all. And, you know, if there's a way to get your ketones up, uh, it does amazing things for, for energy. Yeah, I think that would be great if they could figure out a way to do that. Because I think with people with Lyme, you have so many genetic issues, um, you know, and different patterns and stuff like that. So you, but I guess if you're working with a doctor that really understands that, you know, then you're going to be in a better position. It really does come down to having a mentor, a guide. You know, guru's a little strong word for, I think, where we need to be with things, but, but we, we need guides, you know, in the hero's journey, I interviewed, uh, I forget his name right now. Uh, McKay owned the podcast, put in his name here. Um, and he <laughs> had, yeah, exactly. He has this wonderful idea that if we can frame our struggle as a hero's journey, his background is in filmmaking. That gives us a power in, in dealing with our struggles in a different way rather than if we have all our eggs in the guru basket and, and our doctor's going to save us. You know, if we're the hero mm-hmm. in the story, then the doctor can guide us. And through a certain phase of the story, if they bring us all the way to the end and the resolution, fantastic. But then if we need another guide somewhere through, it's not the end of the world. You know, they haven't failed Mm-mm. us, we haven't failed them, so forth and so on. Which brings us to, you've interviewed 10 of the most incredible people in the Lyme world on the Lyme guide side of things. And tell us about how did you get this idea for the book and what was it like talking to these men and women? Yeah, so, you know, the original doc to me uh, back in 2007 when I was living in Costa Rica, really sick with Lyme disease because I couldn't afford life in the United States. And I, so I said to myself, I'm going to go to Costa Rica. I'm going to see if I, you know, just see if the environment's healing. And I know I can rent an apartment there for 400 bucks. And I'm just going to go do that. And so I was living on disability at the time, doing some part-time work, uh, writing articles and such. And I had the idea, I thought there really are not that many good books on Lyme disease out on the market from, from doctors. And now there are lots of them, but even, you know, just in 2007, there weren't that many. And I know that, you know, doing research on the internet, it was confusing because I thought to me, cause I thought, well, how do you know what's right? How do you know what's really helping people? And so I thought to myself, I'm going to just start doing research on doctors, interviewing people, and I'm going to just find some doctors that I think are doing good work in Lyme disease treatment, and I'm going to compile their treatment approaches in a book and give people a better idea of what's out there, what they need to do to get well. And so that culminated in my first book, which was uh, Insights into Lyme Disease Treatment, and that concept was really successful. And so this book is really an offshoot of that one, and except, you know, because there's since 2007, which was when I wrote the first one, a lot of new ideas have emerged, a lot of new tools in medicine. And so it's really kind of an update to that, but I uh, have learned even a lot more about Lyme disease since I wrote that first book. And so I feel like my discernment is even better. My medical background is stronger. I understand a lot more about what's working and what isn't. And so I 
you know, and I said for this one, I just really want to make sure that these are 10 of the best that are out there. And it's really hard to determine because there are a lot of good doctors, as you know, and you can't say, well, these are the absolute top 10. I mean, that really just doesn't exist. But I, I found, you know, I chose these guys based on their success with patients, based on their reputation, based on their experience, other doctors and experts' opinions of them, and then just what my own gut feeling was about them, you know, because you can have, there are a lot of brilliant doctors, but it's one thing to be an intelligent doctor, and then it's another thing to have a doctor um, who has wisdom and compassion and the insight needed to see every person as an individual and not just treat, you know, a set of symptoms, but doctors that, that see medicine as much as an art, as a science, and who can configure treatment regimens to help each person with their particular needs. And so that's how this one emerged. And did a common theme emerge out of talking with these? Because really, I mean, you have some physicians out of Canada, you have some naturopaths, you know, I have some people experience with Chinese medicine and herbs. I mean, it's just really kind of all over the place who you've uh, selected to speak with. Yeah. So the reason the book's called New Paradigms in Lyme Disease Treatment is it's uh, based on the idea that Lyme isn't, and I think a lot of doctors have been thinking this way for a while and patients as well, that it's not just a, a disease that you can treat with some long-term antibiotics. I know that works for some people, but probably not most, and that it's really a systemic problem in the body. And Lyme, and, and so one of the themes in the book is that you can't just treat the infection. All of the doctors believe you've got to support, support the body on every level, and you've got to look at the other co-conditions that might be present in the body, because for some people, the Lyme infections might be the big you know, the big thing, 80% of the picture, but for other people, it might just be, you know, 20 or 30%. And then they've got mold toxicity or they've got parasitic infections or that's one thing in common that, that all the doctors share is that they believe in treating the whole person. But there are also some, um, there are, um, a lot of, I'm trying to think here, a lot of new tools that all of them are using, new diagnostic tools, new treatment tools. There's some unique treatments that haven't been discussed extensively in in uh, other books and it's things like hyperthermia, peptide therapy. There's a technique in there called Lime Stop, which is created by Dr. Tony Smith, who is actually a chiropractor in Idaho, and it involves basically stimulating various points on the body and the brain with magnets in the hands and what it does is through this technique it sends a signal to the immune system to go after the infections in the body and he has a number of testimonials so I think that's really encouraging for people who haven't done well with antibiotics and um, and in addition to that a lot of the doctors do use still you know herbal remedies antibiotics but they're approaching treatment in a different way I'm finding I think the theory used to be that it's really good to you know you want to hit the bugs as hard as you can with a number of different remedies, whereas now, you know, the I think the motto among some of the doctors is more is not better. You don't want to overwhelm the body. You don't want to be in a massive Herxheimer reaction for two years. And I think that's good, good news for people who, who don't want to suffer through these horrible reactions. And, you know, the idea is you don't want to overwhelm the body. And these doctors are finding that they can get still get good results with their patients by doing lower dosages of stuff. They still may have to 
take multiple uh, herbals or multiple antibiotics, but they don't have to be at these really high doses that are just completely overwhelming. And so that's one theme that I saw emerging. And, um, and, and so really the mess in the book, it's, you know, I'd say one of the, the themes is that antibiotics aren't the only way they're necessary for some people, but there are a lot of other ways to treat the illness, including a couple of those uh, tools that I just mentioned, the hyperthermia, the peptides, you know, um, oxidative therapies have also been proven to be really helpful. And the success, as some of the doctors will tell you, the success of a particular protocol isn't so much dependent upon uh, what primary tool you're using to kill the bugs, but the overall strategy, because, you know, as one of the doctors said, I believe it was Raj Patel, it doesn't matter if you use antibiotics or herbs, if you are supporting the rest of the body in in the right way, then whatever you're going to do, whatever you do will be, will tend to be effective. And so anyway, those are just kind of some random thoughts, you know, that I think will bring some new hope to people who maybe have given up and not found answers through the, uh, you know, treatment routes that have been made available to them. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And interestingly enough, in my practice, I get people with, it's kind of after the antibiotics. Those are the people that I see. So the the antibiotics have kind of run their course. And at this point with the testing, who knows whether or not the, the infection is actually in there or not. I mean, we have opinions, you know, might be behind, behind biofilm. Maybe it's buried inside some cartilage. You know, maybe it's a persister Mm -hmm. cells. We just, you know, we just don't know, unfortunately. So people get a sense, you know, they just use their intuition when they're talking to me, but each of them, at this point in time, with all their experiences with treatment, they all want to go slowly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm, that's what interesting. You're you about. found that. You know, they at this point they've had enough Herx reactions. They've had enough suffering. It's like, you know, I, I, they'll tell me, I hear what you're saying, um, but, but we need to go slowly. And then every once in a while, somebody will come in and we'll see. Okay, and I'll, you know, I'll do, I do some cold laser therapy with homeopathic remedies. And every once in a while, that will kick up a Herx reaction that nobody was expecting, mm-hmm. right? And, wow. you know, it's, I always kick myself a little bit. It's like, okay, you jumped the sequence. You know, you didn't, you didn't really support their energy first. You didn't support their detox pathways. You didn't support, you know, the stagnation from Chinese medicine or support their causative factor or their spirit to be strong enough to, to take in the treatments. And yeah, so what you're, point. yeah, what you're talking about here with uh, that you've heard and learned from, from these various practitioners is really resonates strongly with me. Oh, good. Well, that's confirming to hear too, because I mean, let's face it too, when you're in a Herx reaction, I mean, I remember the year and a half I did antibiotics. I mean, there were times I thought I was going to die. I was just laying, I'd be laying on the floor and I'd have to have people come bring me food and. Oh. And I thought I'm going to die. And, and that's incredibly demoralizing. It's like, how can you have the emotional and mental wherewithal to want to keep fighting and pushing when you're in pain and you're suffering like that every day, you know? So, I mean, you know, and, and the, the other thing, I mean, you know, I, my, the doctor that I'm working with now, I'm doing, you know, pretty well as far as the Lyme side of things, but I got exposed to some black mold this year. So yeah. I'm being treated for that. And one thing I really, you know, so I had a setback this year, which was pretty frustrating, but I, you know, what, what I like about the doctor I'm working with now is that he's not all about like throwing 50 things at you. He's 
just like we're just going to work on this and here are the five or six things you need to take right now. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so nice. I don't have to remember to take a million different supplements. I don't have to spend a lot of money on this. And and quite frankly, I think those kind of things can do a lot for your healing, you know, your morale. I'm trained in five-element acupuncture, and we have a treatment maxim that we call the law of least action. And the ideal is to focus your thinking and diagnostic skills and what's going on with the patient there to use as few needles as possible. And really, so that's my train. That's my bias and that's my training. So if you can get down to figure out, you know, which pathways and which supplements are, are really supporting a person. I mean, I'm, you've had this experience too. It's sometimes I'll get patients who've come in who've seen, uh, somebody and they've got 20 supplements that they're taking. And, yeah. and you go through the bottles and all of them will have one or two overlapping, you know, B vitamins or something. And at some point you're thinking, how, how much, you know, B6 does somebody need? How much thiamine does somebody yeah. need? Right? And, and it just, you know, I understand what the practitioners are trying to do because each of these supplements is targeted to one of the problems that they're having. But, you know, maybe those are all on the canopy of the tree and that we need to spend some time and really work our way down to, to the roots and then treat at the level of the roots and let the tree take care of the rest of it. That's really good. You said, it's interesting you mentioned that, McKay, because some of the doctors actually mentioned that very thing in the book, how there may be, um, you know, you can have a hundred things, a hundred things that need fixing in the body, but some of those are the effects of the, you know, the branches, as, as you'd say, not, not the roots. And so you want to be able to identify the root cause of what's causing these other issues rather than trying to fix every effect and, and every cause of disease. And as you know, Dr. Jernigan, who is one of the doctors in the book said, I, I, and I'm not quoting him exactly kind of, this is kind of a paraphrase. He said, you know, I can just imagine my patient's bodies thinking, you know, and they walk in with 75 supplements. Like, can you imagine the human body looking at 75 pills and thinking, you want me to do what with all that? <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> it's, it was just, you know, a really good point. And, um, and again, I'm not quoting him exactly, but that was sort of the idea. And, and so, you know, there are doctors that use more tools and there are probably circumstances where people need a lot more support. But I think, you know, most of the another theme in this book is that doctors um, treat things in a priority order. So if you have heavy metal toxicity, if you have parasites, mold, Lyme infections, you, you, the body usually can't handle treating all that stuff at once, you know, and most of them will look, will test the body using a number of different tools to find out what is the priority for the body. Um, one of the doctors in there, David Minkoff, who's in Florida, does oxidative therapies. He says, you know, he uses an analogy in the book and he says, if you, are in the jungle and you've got a guy and there's there's a panther attacking him and then there are ants crawling up his leg and and then there's a tarantula or you know <laughs> and he says there are all these threats it's like yeah, yeah. which one are you going to go after which one are you going to go after first right. you got to get the panther off the person first because he's the probably the biggest threat and then and so um 
you know, I think that made a lot of sense, that kind of analogy. I like like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Which one are you going to get first? They all seem pretty bad, don't they? But, you know, which one's going to kill you first? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So in interviewing, in doing your interviews, did anything surprise you? Did anything take you aback? It's like, whoa, that's really mind-blowing. Hmm. Well, you know, I have to say I was really impressed with something Dr. Klinghart shared with me about testing, and that is that, uh, you know, the PCR test, which is one of the tests that some of the doctors will use for Lyme disease, that fragments of, of microbial DNA, it, it's, it's, um, it's a test that a lot of times people will test negative on because the particular blood sample that, that you're testing may not have any antigen in it, but he found out that when he had his patients do a rolfing session, which is a type of deep tissue massage, that it would cause the microbes to come out of the tissues. And so he would have send them to do this type of massage. And then he'd go have them do this uh, PCR test with, and, 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 and when they would do that, he said nearly a hundred percent of the time, all the microbes would show up in the test results or the, you know, a lot of the infections. And so he got, and he said it was sort of like the slam dunk test. And, and so that kind of, I thought, wow, okay, so technically there could be a way now to test for Lyme that is really accurate almost all the time. And, you know, maybe you wouldn't get all the infections in the, but maybe the, you know, let's say some of the big players, I don't know. Um, so that was kind of interesting to me. And, uh, gosh, yeah, I'd have to think about it. I mean, there was sort of these little pearls that when I was interviewing them, I'd go, Wow, that's really interesting. You know, I I didn't know that, so I I have to think about that a little more. Yeah, that's real interesting because I've been Rolf before, and the Rolfing concentrates on the connective tissue. So the idea is you're stretching out the fascia to rebalance the body, yeah. and so you're going right after the areas where the Borrelia would burrow into and hide out. And so it just makes sense that if you disturb their home, that they would essentially run away and, and, look, and look for a new home. So it's not. Here comes the bulldozer. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Exactly right. Uh, it's almost like when the, when the combines out here are, are picking up the, the corn and, uh, you just, the birds fly away and the rabbits are running away and everybody's heading for the hills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, well, in rolfing, I mean, I've done it too. And I, I have to say it can be a little bit painful, at least with a practitioner that I saw. And I had people, you know, saying, well, you know, couldn't that cause a massive detox reaction? And it's possible. And my thought is, well, yeah, yeah, possibly it can. Um, but I guess maybe you want to have discernment, you know, maybe you go see a practitioner that's not going to rolf your whole body, but just do a, a segment of it. Maybe, um, I, I don't really know the answer to that, and maybe it depends on how badly you want to be tested. But uh, yeah, exactly. I, uh, you know, so. But I thought that was interesting, and and there are also doctors that will use tools now, like uh, dark field microscopy, where they can actually take a sample of your blood and they can look at some of the organisms that are in the blood. Uh, Doctor Minkoff uses that, and I think it's a really useful tool because you can see for yourself what's going on and. And he, he'll comment, he'll say, you know, I get the patients really involved. I show them what's in their blood and then we do treatments and then we can watch the blood clear up over time. You know, like, you know, the ozone, for instance, will break up biofilms. And so p- patients will look and they'll see these biofilm, you know, this this mass of biofilm in the 
uh, in the blood sample. And then over time, it kind of breaks up and then eventually disappears. And so those are some exciting tools in medicine that, that doctors are using to diagnose Lyme. Then, of course, there, there are the other tools that most of us are aware of, the you know culture testing, the hygienics test, the uh, bio, bioenergetic tools like the Zyto muscle testing, which I think all of those are also incredibly useful. And what I really liked about these doctors is that a lot of them will use multiple testing methods in addition to a symptom, uh, you know, a, a clinical diagnosis based on symptoms. And, you know, some of these guys, too, have been practicing medicine. I want to say that I think it was eight of the ten of them have medicine for at least 25 years, which is quite a while. And so they've really been trained to even just be able to look at a person and, and know what's going on with them based on the symptom picture, which I think is a real gift, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have another book? percolating in the back of your mind? <laughs> you know, I actually have a couple ideas and I'm I want to do a little ebook on insomnia because <laughs> this is like one of the things that I <laughs> that I really battled badly for years to the degree like I mean, I have to be honest, like it got so bad. And this is because I'll tell you I when I was treating my own Lyme I got addicted to antidepressants, depressants and benzodiazepines, you yeah. know, sedative drugs. So mm-hmm. I was dependent on those to sleep. And when I tried to get off of them, it was, it was a nightmare. I got to tell you. And so between that and having Lyme symptoms meant that I was in a real war trying to get off meds and find new ways to sleep. And so anyway, that culminated in um, a several year journey looking for ways to get my sleep back. And I have to tell you, I finally did. I got off the drugs. It took me a long time. It took me a couple years um, to wean off of them. And it took me a couple more years to rebalance my chemistry. But I learned so much about it in the process that I thought, I just got to share this with people. Like, because I know insomnia is like one of the worst things that people with Lyme deal with. And, you know, there's symptoms that are tolerable, but I think insomnia, when you've got it really badly, it's one of the worst. And so anyway, I want to, I'd like to do a book on that. And then I also want to do a book um, on healing from depression on a spiritual level, emotional and physical, because that's another thing that was really a battle for me. And I think there's this idea, you know, we've got books on, well, here's how you treat depression chemically. Here's how you treat depression on a spiritual level. But it's really a mind, body, spirit condition uh, for most of us, I think. And so I just, that's another book, you know, that I want to write eventually. And uh, for me at this point, it just depends on my time. It's, you know, writing books isn't always like my bread and butter. So, (laughs) I mean... You know, I've made some money on it, but it's you I, don't the get truth rich is I have books. three yeah. jobs. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. So, you know, sometimes there's a work you got to do and then the work that that's that's fun and your passion and, you know, writing books on medicine, on healing. That's that's my passion. That's wonderful. You can't heal if you can't sleep. I mean, that's really the bottom line. <laughs> Uh, as much as we like to think. So, and, and with that, I'm going to circle back to that, but then something else you said about depression, which really resonates with, with acupuncture and five element acupuncture and the whole mind, body, spirit realm of things is you, depression is not necessarily an emotional, mental issue. It can be a physical issue. 
So you can, mm-hmm. you can be depressed because you've been in pain for a year. And oh, yeah. So you can, yeah. th- you can treat the mind all you want to, but until you take the pain away, the person's probably not going to heal. They may be able to transform and transform their relationship to the pain, something like that. But the treatment for, for pain-based depression, so to speak, a physically-based depression, and maybe, you know, they could also be a, a nutrient deficiency or, you know, not enough omega-3s or wh- whatever the case may be. There are other physical things that can happen. You can work really hard on the, the psychosocial part of things and really never get down to it because it's, it's a physical issue. So that whole idea that, that oh, yeah. depression is this multifaceted, you know, this whole idea that we've separated out the mind from the body is, is, is medieval, literally. Mm-hmm. And it, it served us very, very well, but it also gives us some blind spots. Oh, yeah. And, and I know I agree with you, McKay. And I think it, and it also depends on the person. I mean, a person who's got a history of trauma that's been unresolved, that can manifest in physical symptoms. And so sometimes you have to resolve trauma. But I also think more commonly, you know, I see a lot of people, including myself, who have received a lot of judgment for not being able to just think more positive or, you know, just kind of like, I, I like my brain's on fire, you know, I've got pathogens just, you know, doing their thing up in my brain. And, and so, um, and so, yeah, I absolutely agree with you that, that, that has to be supported because when you do that, then it gives you the, the wherewithal to be able to work on the, 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 the psychoemotional side of things. Um, and you know, so I, I totally agree with you on that. And part of the reason I want to write the book is to dispel this myth that depression is just, you know, that it is just a psychosocial issue because people and a lot of people that don't have it still see it as such. And I think we've really we've got to get away from that and talk about the the physical issues that cause it. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Yeah. When our system's healthy, you can bootstrap yourself back into thinking positively and and kind of getting yourself righted. But when you're sick, truly sick, the bootstraps rip when you yank on them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you just, that's it. You can't do it. It just doesn't work. And, no, and it yeah, is, absolutely. and it is hard because people, you know, people really base their view of the world on what they've experienced uh, or what mm-hmm. they've seen around them. So they've had people close with them, and if they haven't personally experienced it, it really is as much great as imaginations we can have as human beings. We can also be terribly, terribly close-minded. When we have a strategy that works for us all the time, we just can't understand, well, how come you can't do this? I don't, there must be something wrong yeah. with you, not my system. Right, right. And as humans, that's just how we are. And I think that that's a really hard thing when you're going through chronic illness because you know that family and friends who have not battled Lyme or severe chronic illness are going to understand what you're going through. And, you know, we all know that, you know, most of us who have had Lyme have come across a lot of misunderstanding and we've so badly needed the support and wanted people to understand us. But the fact of the matter is it's like, unless you walk a mile in, in our shoes, you, you can't. And I found, you know, that can be a really tough thing to accept, but at the same time, you know, uh, just understanding that's that's the way humanity is. It can help you to heal because it's a real invitation um, for bitterness if you know if we allow that to be something that that keeps us down. 
Um, but that's, you know, that's a whole nother topic. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so let's, we'll put that one on pause on the shelf for a while and we'll, we'll talk to you when you come out with that book about, yeah. <laughs> about sleep. How did you hack your sleep? How did you get sleeping again? Would you mind sharing that? Yeah. Okay, you want to save so, it for your book? Sure. Absolutely. No, you know, I'll share some of the things right now and we'll go, I'll go in more detail when I do the book. Um, it wasn't just one thing because obviously, you know, sleep disorders are caused by a lot of different things. So, uh, for me, one of the issues was getting my neurotransmitters balanced, uh, you know, making sure I had enough GABA, enough, uh, you know, 5-HTP. Uh, so that on a basic level, that was one of the first things, getting my hormones balanced. I still have to eat animal protein before bedtime or I won't sleep eight hours like a handful of nuts won't do it. I have to have a chicken leg before bed. And, <laughs> and you know, so, I mean, that's, you know, those those are kind of the simple things. But um, on a deeper level, I also did some uh, feedback, but neurofeedback with a uh, through a system called clear mind and they, they sell these little at home devices. And the one I purchased was called a neuro integrator. I think the unit now is called focus, but what it does is it uh, ramps down your brain waves to help you fall asleep. And it's actually been really effective for helping some people to get off sleep medication. Uh, so that helped me to get off benzodiazepines. However, I also found that I needed the amino acid support to get off antidepressants and to get off the benzos. And I'll be honest, I worked with a, um, a compounding pharmacy in California to help me to do this with a really brilliant biochemist there. And, uh, you know, he, I did some uh, neurotransmitter testing to figure out where I was deficient, where I was in excess, because I think just randomly going to the store and buying some 5-HTP, people can do that. And then they'll say, well, this doesn't work. But then there are other questions you have to ask, like, what are the other neurotransmitters doing? Um, you know, is your body using the 5-HTP? Like I needed a methylator to make so that my body yeah, would actually exactly. use the amino acids. So I needed SAMe, which was a real lifesaver. I needed um, pregnenolone to strengthen my adrenals. And I know this is sounding really complicated, but in a book, I'll make it easy to under easy to understand and put a little more organization to it. But then some other things that I found, for instance, um, lowering uh, my body's histamine levels because histamine will keep you up at night. Yeah. Uh, glutamate will keep you up at night. Yeah. And so getting those lowered, um, I, you know, has been really important. Cannabis has also been really great. Um, you know, low THC, um, high levels of cannabinoids. If you can have, if you have access to that, I think that can be really, really helpful for sleep. Now I still have trouble when I travel, just because, so, you know, I'm not perfect, but when I'm at home, I can usually get a decent seven to eight hours now, which is something that for years was just eluding me. And so I just want to encourage anybody who battles that, that it, there are answers. And trust me, I got to a place where I was like, God, take me out of this world. If, if, if you know, you don't restore my sleep. I mean, just take me out. And, um, and another thing I, I have to mention just concerning that is when you don't sleep for a long time, the other thing that can happen is that you begin to develop, develop a fear of going to bed. Like it's like your bed becomes a torture chamber. You're like, oh, my God, am I going to sleep tonight? And, and there's like this fear that begins to become associated with sleeping. And so I had to deal with that as well. And um, and so that so there was some, you know, some counseling type stuff that was involved in prayer and things like that. 
So those are those are kind of I, I would say those are the big things. Well, that's that's an amazing palette of tools that you use to yeah. to to hack your sleep. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with Bob Miller and his work? Yes, he does that. Yeah, the 23 and he does the interpretation of the 23 and me test. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. his he's very interested in the patterns that show up and how we use supplements and very much so that you know if you for example, I recently uh, with a patient gave her glutathione and she clearly needed it. I mean, there was no doubt about it. However, two days after she started taking, she calls me up and she says, um, uh, I have a question for you. I was like, uh oh, what's she going to ask? She said, I can't sleep now. Is that normal? And of course she knows it's not normal, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, because of the work, uh, that Bob Miller's done. He's saying, you know, you, if you just throw in the end product there, if you just throw in GABA, if you just throw in glutathione, you may be sparing some of its uh, components that then start going down different pathways, wreaking havoc and causing mischief in the body. So it it is so much more complex than just you know, oh, I need to calm down, so I'm going to take some GABA. You know, that might be absolutely the right thing to do based on your metabolism, but you have to have enough awareness. And again, this goes back to taking things slowly, right? If you if you take yeah. eight things all at the same time or 20, you know, eight you can probably figure out, but 20 things all at the same time and you have a bad reaction to one of them, which one is it? And then how long is it going to take yeah. you to <laughs> sort through all the 20 things yeah, to figure not- out what's doing? Yeah. You're not going to know. And one other thing I want to mention about the sleep that that I'm finding to be a really big issue for some people too are electromagnetic fields. Oh. Um, I yeah. <laughs> so I've had to move twice because of EMFs. And I'm telling you, if you have a lot of EMFs in your environment, those can keep you up at night too. And so, you know, I always, you know, people say, well, what can you do about that? Um, you know, the simplest thing, first of all, is to turn off your circuit breakers at night, turn off your cell phone, unplug the appliances in your bedroom. And then, you know, as a second thing, uh, get Graham Stetzer meter or excuse me, Graham Stetzer filters. And because what they do is that they will um, help to clean up some of the electromagnetic pollution in the environment because uh, smart meters, you know, which they've now installed on most homes across the United States, they're constantly emitting frequencies that, that not, they, they don't just of the house too. And so when you put Graham Stetzer filters into the outlets, it helps to neutralize some of those frequencies that come, that come through the wall wiring. Um, Will you say that again? You dropped out for a second there. And so right at the beginning when you're talking about the smart meters, so we just repeat that. You just lost lost about 10 seconds there. Yeah, sure. So the smart meters are a major cause of uh, electromagnetic pollution. Of course, there are other sources uh, like the cell phone towers and things like that. But the the smart meters are causing a lot of problems in people. For instance, I, I and I'm glad I can repeat this because I wanted to add something. Uh, Lyme disease and mold have been shown to replicate more rapidly in the presence of EMFs. And so this is one reason you also want to really clean up your environment. But the meters, the, the what they do, they they give off radiation from the meter itself. But the the radiation also comes through the wall wiring in the house. And so when you put what are called the Graham Stetzer filters 
into the outlets, it will help to neutralize some of those fields. So that can be really helpful for sleep too. That's fascinating. I hadn't heard that the electronic fields will stimulate the reproduction of the molds and the, and the Borrelia. That's incredible. Have, have you ever done any earthing? Played around with I that? I have. And what, what's your thoughts uh, on yes. that? I think it's a great idea. In fact, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I have a grounding strap on my wrist, which, (laughs) (laughs) which I, I, I'm honest, I work out, you know, I work all day on a computer and I notice that if I don't ground myself with this little grounding strap, I get more tired. And so what this does is it's, you know, basically it plugs into the grounding outlet on the wall, which goes into the earth. And when you ground yourself, it, it uh, balances out your energy and I have to be careful with it. Uh, you know, I, um, <laughs> I have to just say something just for humor because yes. I, I have a biomat as well mm-hmm. and, and I have a grounding pillow. And I, one time I said, Oh, I'm going to lay on my grounding pillow while I'm laying on the biomat turned on. Well, I, I got an electric shock by doing that. Oh, so, wow. um, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't advise doing, doing that. But gr- anyway, grounding, yeah, involves, you know, there are lots of grounding products and stuff like that. But the, if you do, live in a place where you can go and stand on the earth outside, you know, you're not going to get ticks crawling on you or anything, then that's a really good way to balance your energy. I think people that live near a beach have an advantage because, you know, going and walking on the sand is very good for balancing the body's energy. But if not, there are products, you know, if you do, if you can't go stand on the ground outside, there, there are products and like this little grounding strap I'm wearing, I think it was $15. So, you know, it doesn't have to cost a whole lot of money. Yeah, that that little kit where they give you two of the orange bands and the the wires to plug in is is ridiculously cheap. It's it's so easy to get hold of. Interestingly yeah. enough, so there's when I was studying with J.R. Worsley, he's the my teacher's teacher. He's the the guru of my lineage of acupuncture. So he's a British man, and he studied in the Orient. When I was studying with him in England, kind of in between classes, in between lectures he was giving, he said, you know, when you open up your clinic, you want to be on the ground floor and you want to wear natural shoes. And then he said, okay, I got to go see a man to, uh, got to see a man about a dog, which means he had to go to the bathroom, right? So he he just <laughs> left. So I'm sitting there kind of staring at the wall thinking, what? Where did that come from? And this is, you know, this is the the early, the late 80s, early 90s. So most of my classmates are kind of reformed hippies. So we're still got this, you know, love the earth and tug the trees and all that kind of stuff going on. And so I'm thinking, well, this is just about feeling good and staying connected with the earth, right? So fast forward and start hearing about this grounding phenomenon, right? And mm-hmm. also in Chinese medicine, there's this idea where you need to cultivate your chi, where you need to be in a good space in order to take care of your patients and heal them properly. And some of the, a lot of this is doing Tai Chi or Qigong outside on the ground with these cotton shoes where you're really still kind of grounded and you sweat a little bit and the connection is pretty good there. So you're getting this slight negative charge that you do with earthing. I've started, so I, I earth my patients during a treatment, but then there, mm. there are times where I also, I hook up one of the bands to my wrist when I'm needling. Mm. Because what I've mm. found is that 
having the negative charge myself, the slight tiny negative charge. Now they don't feel a, they don't feel an electric charge. It's nothing that strong for those of you listening. It doesn't, sometimes you can feel make a little tingling or something like that, but it doesn't, you're not getting shocked like the biomath story that you told. <laughs> but yeah. my, the effect of the treatment and the ability to reach the energy in the point is magnified significantly when I ground myself. Mm, wow. There's See, that's, some, that's incredible. It is. There's something about a slight negative charge. And this is a, this is a funny part too. We're also admonished. Don't treat anybody during a thunderstorm. And what happens during a thunderstorm, what happens frequently is that the charge of the earth around where the lightning is gathering will flip and become positive instead of negative. Oh, wow. So you're, wow. Actually, so you don't want to. Exactly. So you're having a negative effect there. So yeah, similarly, right. You probably don't want to, uh, have your, uh, earthing mat plugged in during a thunderstorm. Okay. That goes for sleeping too. If you have grounding sheets, then you don't want to sleep on your grounding sheets if there's going to be a storm during the night. Probably not. That would be the safest. Now you do have your mm-hmm, sk- mm-hmm. skin protecting you during that and the needle kind of you know, gets into the body in a way that just a surface protection one, but that, and it's probably a good idea anyway, because if there was a lightning strike, you don't want those things kind of going through <laughs> and, yeah. and frying your sheets. <laughs> a new way to kill the microbes. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it might kill you as well, but at least the microbes will be gone. <laughs> yeah. I don't I'm know kidding. anybody who's done yeah. lightning therapy yet, but. Maybe. No. Well, you know, there was a story. I, I can't remember who told me this, uh, about a guy who had some, I don't know if it was a microbial thing or, or cancer. It was one of those two things. And he, he, he electrocuted himself on a fence and it ended up getting rid of what was ever in his body. I'll have to look for that. I, I don't know. Do you, have you heard anything like that? No, I've backed into our electric fence here. Uh, and it's a memorable experience. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you're still here. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> yes. Well, it's very high voltage, but very low, whatever it is, amperage or wattage or whatever. So it gets your attention, but it doesn't stop your heart. I, I could taste my fillings, though, after that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's remarkable. I was, you know, speaking of high... Oh, go, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to tell the story. It's not... It's Anyway, if you no, want to hear, me. hear the story, email me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I was just, you know, saying on the note of high voltage, I was taking some readings recently from my cell phone and I was shocked to see how high the fields would go when I would just even just get on the internet, you know, get on Facebook or get on my email. It was, it would go up as high as 20 volts per meter, which is extremely high. I mean, they've shown cancer, you know, that you can cause cancer at much you know, exponentially lower levels than that. And so it's got me thinking like, do I really need my smartphone? Like, is this a good thing to have? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think about stuff like that. Well, and, and, and now they've got all the wireless earbuds. So you're getting it even closer into your brain. It's like the, I would least, at least not do that and, and stick with the wired, you know, there's, there's a little electric field there, but at least you're not, don't have those stronger, uh, radio waves there. It's just, it is, it's, it's one of those areas where, like, why, why risk it? You know, it's, it's a little bit scary. And there are, and, and there are genes that predispose people to electrical sensitivity. And they tend to show, show up with people with Lyme disease. It's the, I'm, I'm looking mm. it up here. I don't have this memorized, but so I'm not that smart. It's CACNA1C <laughs> genes. 
and they, okay. you know, they encode uh, a voltage-dependent calcium channel within the body. And these calcium channels obviously control the amount of calcium ions that, that go through a cell membrane. And if you have this variant, then you're just more susceptible. It's like you, these ion channels get really excited around a, an electrical field. So they're people who can be super sensitive. Yeah, and that's another – so that's one of the topics, too, that the doctors discuss in New Paradigms in Lyme Disease Treatment is the electrosensitivity. Dr. Klinghart, I know, is really big on remediating the home and stuff. And, you know, it can be expensive to do that, but it doesn't always have to be. There are simple things you can do, like I mentioned. And um, But the issue with the cell phones, I think, is important because – you know, there are a lot of kids getting brain cancer now where cancer doctors didn't see that 20 years ago. And so, um, you know, as a, it, this, our phones can be addictive. And I just want to encourage people to just sort of be mindful of, you know, how much you use your phone and stuff and, uh, you know, put it on speakerphone when you use it. So that, that, that that's something else that's not directly. And I'm pretty passionate about this topic, too. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, it's don't don't sleep with it under your pillow. Don't sleep it you, like turn it off if you can. If you have to keep it on, put it away from you. Cuz even even mm-hmm. when it's not active, it's active. It pings out every once in a while and and sends out a r- radio waves there. And you know, it's the radio waves are radio waves whether it's in your microwave or whether it's in your phone. You you'd want to be shielded from them. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Well, Connie, you've been ridiculously generous with your time. We've already blown through an hour of conversation. This may have been the fastest hour that I've ever experienced. It's just been such a great and easy conversation with you. I really appreciate it. Oh, good. It. Well, thank you. I feel now, the same. Oh, good. Yeah. So let's, I want to leave, tell people where can they find out about your book, what's your website, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So the book is New Paradigms in Lyme Disease Treatment, and it's 10 top doctors reveal healing strategies that work. And these are doctors most in the United States, but there's one from Germany, also one from Mexico. You can learn more about the book at newlymetreatments.com. That's newlymetreatments.com. It's also available on Amazon. Um, and if anyone wants to contact me with a comment or question, you can do that. My email is Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, 9824 at AOL.com. Beautiful. Connie, thank you so much. And I look forward to speaking you speaking with you again soon. Thank you, McKay. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. One of the things I really liked about this conversation was when you and Connie talked about if you're not feeling good during a treatment process, then just slow down and stop. And I think that applies to a lot of things. I think it it applies to, you know, if you're trying out a ketogenic diet, if you're trying to treat multiple things at the same time, like what you were talking about, and just... uh, Taking things slowly. You know, that's so funny. It reminds me of a Bill Wooden coach and a quote. And Bill Wooden was the Hall of Fame coach for the UCLA Bruins basketball team. And it's like the winningest coach of all time. And he had a saying that went something like, be quick, but don't hurry. <laughs> and 
what he's saying is when you rush too much, when you push too hard, things, the organization of things begin to fall apart. If you push your detoxification pathways too quickly or overwhelm them, then other things begin to fall apart. There's a sweet spot and we want to try and find that sweet spot. It's not always early. And, you know, especially when we start a new protocol, we're so excited. We want to get going. And then there's the whole Herx thing. So maybe why I'm feeling so bad is it's just a Herxheimer and then I'll be better in a day or so. That sometimes is true, and sometimes we do have to suffer through that. But also, it can just be that whatever we're doing is too much and overwhelming our system. So my particular prejudice in treatment is to build up. And so we don't have to back off uh, because we've overwhelmed the system, but we can push forward. And even with some of the people who are really sick, Aurora, I find that even when you think you're starting slowly, it ain't slow enough. So that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to you have to crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, those cliches are all out there because they are true. <laughs> and I'd like to start wrapping up our podcast today with a special shout out to those of you who have joined in the keto challenge or you're still taking your ketones. I am still taking my ketones and I really can tell a difference if I skip a day, uh, and from when I, when I take them on, like my ability to focus is so much better when I am, when I've taken my ketones in the morning, you know, I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I stay up a little later than I should have, but all in all, the benefit outweighs the staying up past midnight aspect of it. Get your sleep. I know. (laughs) There's no substitute for sleep and happy mitochondria make a happy brain. Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> Will you read us that quote we got a couple weeks ago that talked about one of our Lime Ninjas' experience with the Keto OS and the Keto Challenge? Sure. Uh, she says, I just took my first dose of ketones. I used 16 ounces of water and drank only 8 ounces, saving the rest for uh, the PM for some time. I immediately, even before finishing the eight ounces, felt my vision clearing and energy getting stronger. I could stand up better. We'll not go into that now and just a short report. Thanks for reading that, Aurora. And how can people get into the keto challenge? You just go on over to LimeNinja.com. And as soon as that loads, you'll see a splash screen. Click on the Learn More button, and that will take you to the Keto Challenge page. It's really, really simple, LimeNinjaRadio.com, and you'll see the rest right there in front of you in black and white. Actually, Technicolor. It's a nice blue splash screen. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing is we are, in the spirit of the Christmas season, asking for donations so I got a message from somebody who said, you know, I'd really like to try the keto challenge. However, it's just a little bit too much money. I can't afford it right now. Is there any way that I can contribute to Lime Ninja Radio? And I said, no, there isn't. And they said, well, there should be. And I said, you're right. So we now have a donate now button. It's actually a contribute button. And we're asking for your help to keep us going 
it costs about $300 a month just for internet fees and Facebook advertising and hosting and all that kind of stuff. And then when you factor in the time Aurora spends editing and the time I spend preparing and interviewing people, it really comes out to about $3,000 a month. And we're not looking to make $3,000 a month. We just would like to break even every month. And a little bit goes a long way. So we're asking if you can afford it, if you got money coming in, a $52 donation for the year. That's a dollar an episode, essentially. And if that's too rich, then we recommend a dollar per month or 12 bucks. Most people can afford that. And if you're really in dire straits and even 12 bucks is too much of a stretch, then our hearts go out to you and our wishes go out to you and just please enjoy, keep enjoying Lime Ninja Radio. One reason we do this for free and not behind a paywall is so that everybody has access to these great people that we interview and all the knowledge that they have and all the wisdom and experience they have. And... Also, we've just started a new fun thing, and I've been asking the authors for a promotional copy of their book. And so far, everybody's been quite excited. So I'm glad you stayed and listening to the end of the show because we didn't mention it in the beginning, but there's a giveaway for Connie's book. So if you go to our website, LimeNinjaRadio.com, and click on her interview and go into the details page, the show notes page, you will see a button there about how to enter a contest. And we'll have the drawing, oh, I'm not sure when you'll be listening to this, but uh, just a few days after this recording comes out. So we'll be doing the drawing Sunday night after this recording comes out. So you have a few days to enter. And if you happen to be listening to this some months from now, this is kind of December 2016, we're recording this, just click on the most current podcast. Uh, just go to the main page, LimeNinjaRadio.com, click on the most current podcast and see if there's a giveaway going there. Because chances are I'm going to try and keep this going and we'll try and do a giveaway every week. It's a lot of fun and it's a way to get the books out there and promote it and reach a whole new audience. So that's the big three things, the Keto Challenge, the Donate Now button. Actually, it's not a Donate Now button, the Contribute button, and the book giveaway. Have I covered everything, Roar? I think you have. Okay. The As the weathermen are saying these days, winter is coming. <laughs> and hopefully uh, my favorite TV show sometime soon. Season six. And last. As you long-time Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know Superman once challenged a ninja to a game of rock, paper, scissors? The loser had to wear his underwear over his pants. Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.